This whole series, and particularly today, is about you guys growing in your resilience. And I believe resilience is something that we can get from God. And so we're going to pursue God together in Psalm 46. So Ugo is going to come and read this to us. Um, But if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 146. Thank you. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in opera. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. Amen. Right, am I back on? Yeah. So uh, Pip, my wife, is a midwife, and uh, I was talking to her about resilience in the NHS, and uh, she was saying um, that she felt that staff in the past were simply expected to be resilient. In a very tough workplace, you're just expected to crack on and do your job. And what that resulted in was that over the years, many people have just left or are off long-term sick and really struggling. And she says, now the focus is helping build resilience as many people don't know how to develop it. And I guess that's what we're trying to do in church over the next few weeks. So life can feel like that at times. We're a raft in the rapids. And I guess what we're trying to say is this. Unless we learn in life how to navigate the choppy waters around us, unless we have some strength, unless we have some skill, then all of us are going to tip over and we're going to be lost in the swirling water. And the preaching series is about staying afloat. It's about staying on the raft How do we keep going when we're tired? How do we navigate choppy waters? And so all of us will have some stuff that's just in us, which is like our go-to way of handling choppy waters. And also in life, in culture, there are things that society tells us that we should have to navigate choppy waters or things that we should do to be more resilient. And I just want you to turn to the person next to you and I'd like you just to talk about what it is that either you go to or what I'm really interested is what do you think the world tells us that we should go to? So what what are the world's rafts that that will keep us safe when things get tough? I'm asking you a really difficult question here, but just turn to the person next to you, just have a quick chat. What are some of the cultural ways that we try and survive difficult times okay 
That's great. Can I have some answers from the floor, please? What sort of things does culture tell us that we need to do or think about to build resilience? Anyone? No wrong answers. This is very easy. Anyone? What's that? So buy stuff. And what's that trying to do? So you're finding some comfort in buying some stuff. Yeah, that's great. Eating, yes, amen. <laughs> yes, definitely eating's like, a, like stuff gets hard. You go to food to sort of make you feel better. Yes. Brilliant. I love how you're getting someone else in trouble if the answer's not right. <laughs> That's what so, Victor said. But yeah, there's this sense in which we're, we're, the, society thinks the answer's probably within ourselves. It's about perhaps getting some me time, some time just alone to recover, to look for the strength within. Yeah, definitely. Anything else? Yeah, at the back. So there's, there's signposting to places that can provide counselling or help, that sort of thing. Yeah? Sam, were you just about saying? Yeah. The mental health and general, generally people's understanding of mental health and depending which generation you are and your outlook on stuff, that's a whole minefield I'm not going to step into. But generally, I think the older generations look down at the younger generations and feel like there's a lack of resilience there, just generally speaking. And they let Dan address that next week. Um, <laughs> So listen, all those things, most of those things are not like super bad, but I want you to know that most of them are just temporary relief. They're all things that provide respite. They're all things that sort of help, I guess, in the short term. So they're good things, but they're not ultimate things. It's the difference between a battery and solar power. So a battery is you stick something in and it lasts for a bit, but it just runs down over time. Solar power, though obviously in Yorkshire it's sometimes a bit uh, not so reliable, but generally solar power has the potential to go on and on and on. And so those things that our society or culture says that we should look to are the, the batteries. They sort of give us a surge of energy, but they don't last in the long term. So as Christians, we believe that as we increasingly attach ourselves to God, he will be able to build us up from the inside. Remember, resilience isn't just static. So it's not that you either have it or you don't. All of us have it, but it's more like a muscle that can be strengthened. So all of us have got a general layer of resilience. So you don't sort of think in this bridge, I just don't have any. All of us have got some but we can all grow in it. And where this preach is going is that I believe the strength we need can be bestowed on us by coming to a God who has everything we need. Amen. So resilience isn't something to achieve. Resilience is something to receive. Good point right there. Resilience isn't something to achieve. I can feel the stirrings of appreciation. But resilience is something to receive. So four things. Number one. I want to talk to you about God's presence. Um, I've got a dog who's getting a little bit old now, and I was chatting to another dog owner, and we were talking about separation anxiety. And so that's where if you leave your dog for too long, they start chewing the furniture and sort of making a mess. For Christians, if we believe in the presence of God, we should never have separation anxiety. But we do. 
And so the writer of this psalm is going to do something to try and impress on us God's promise to be with his people. And the whole structure of Psalm 46 is that the first verse, the central verse, and then the last verse all has the refrain, God is with us. So verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's ever-present. Verse 7 in the middle says, the Lord Almighty is with us. And then verse 11 at the end says, the Lord Almighty is with us. God is with us. Say to the person next to you, God is with you. God is with you. Turn to the other person on the other side. Say, God is with you. He's more present than a friend or a relative. He's an ever-present help. And for us as Christians, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And this is so important because when we hit the turbulent times, it's usually this truth that gets questioned the most. I feel alone. God feels distant. I feel like I'm struggling. But God's not answering my prayers. And so the psalmist just wants to lay this foundation that he's going to build this case for finding resilience from God by underlining this incredible theme of the Lord Almighty is with us. When my kids were younger, we tried to teach this to them. And I remember they were all a little bit scared of the dark. And so at bedtime, when we'd say it's time for bed, there was a little bit of trepidation as they sort of went upstairs. And so we tried to teach this simple truth. God is with you all the time. And I remember one evening we sent them off to bed and one of the kids was walking up the stairs and he had like, looked like he was carrying something. And he sort of, sort of went up the stairs. And we're like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm taking God with me. And he'd sort of this idea of somehow he could fit God into an imaginary suitcase. I don't know. But this idea that, you know, wherever we go... God is with us. Number two, the psalmist wants to learn God's power over nature. Verse one, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. In the UK, we can feel a little bit distant from the violence of these words. The psalmist is talking about land shifting, violent quaking, nations roaring, mountains crumbling, surf pounding. And these things are both real and metaphorical. So he's saying God really does have power over nature. And if you are living in Syria and Turkey right now, that's very present for you. Like he has power over nature. But the biblical authors throughout the whole Bible use the image of sort of waters that are pounding and, 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 and churning to describe dangerous situations or people or even enemy nations. So that's why when you get to the book of Revelation that describes what happens when God's kingdom comes in its fullness and all evil is gone, you find there's no sea. And I know every surfer is a little bit disappointed when they read that, but there's no sea because that John is trying to communicate something of the metaphorical power of tumbling and churning water as representing evil. And so in this psalm, the water is pounding a refuge and the refuge is unmoved. And the refuge is obviously representing God. God is a refuge, he's an unshakable rock. 
if you're a sort of a bit of a Lord of the Rings fan, it's Helm's Deep. It's that sort of sense of solidity that whatever comes at it, it will hold firm. It's a fortress. It's a tower. It's a safe place that has power over what nature or what our enemies can throw at us. And it should also tell us this, that every other fortress or refuge is weak in comparison. So it's so helpful there. Because there are things that we run to. There are places that we go to to keep us strong when it's tough. And the psalmist wants us to see, you know, it's not like for like. He needs to be our refuge. Not a refuge, not the refuge of the person next to you, but our refuge, equal to every emergency. So number two, God's power over nature. Thirdly, the psalmist talks about God's power over nations. Verse four, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So the scene suddenly changes from raging seas and falling mountains to people, uh, to people being the ones that are churning and shaking. And these people are pounding on Jerusalem and its temple, which is the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. So it's nations that is being referred to. It's people with power. Think of an army that's invading a city and breaching its walls. And the psalmist says God's power is like a river that keeps a city alive even though it is surrounded on the outside by a foreign army. There is strength in the middle of the battle. So about 30 years ago, I went to um, visit Hezekiah's Tunnel. And so it starts here on the right and it's outside the city walls and engineers, they started at both ends of this tunnel and they dug it so that, see the Pool of Siloam, there would be water within the city walls. And so I remember, if we just go to the next slide, I remember this is what it looks like. And so I can remember being given a candle, and you're sort of about waist deep in water, and you sort of walk your way through the tunnel. There's a beautiful point in the middle where the two parties that did the digging meet, and they're about a metre out either side, which is... <laughs> Absolutely fascinating to see. And the psalmist is talking about a river that is in the middle of the city that will keep you safe, that's a source of strength. So resilience means there's, there's a sense of strength and even joy when stuff gets hard because this river in the city of God makes the people glad. For the author... What he's talking about is Zion. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem when it's under attack. But for Christians, it's no longer about a physical particular place or city where God has pledged his special favor, but now there's a particular person, God's own son, Jesus Christ. So Christians, we don't rally to a city. We don't all go to Jerusalem and find the pool and everything's going to be okay, but rather we go to a particular person for refuge. Jesus Christ sends his spirit to be like this overflowing spring that's on the inside of every Christian. So resilience and strength is bestowed on us as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is now the place of God's presence where his river of his spirit is flowing.
So good that. I was chatting to a person at Mosaic probably a couple of years ago now, going through a very difficult time, lots of long-term sickness, actually. And they were finding coming to church particularly difficult, finding it hard, speaking to people that were giving not very helpful advice. You know, just the stuff of what it's like to be in a family and people are concerned but don't really know what to say. And they said to me, you know, I'm really struggling to just be in the room because it's hard. And I said, said to them, I said, look, I totally get that it's a frustrating and difficult place to be. But if you separate yourself off from the family of God, this is the place the gathered church is where a couple of years later speaking to them, more recently just saying to me, I'm so glad you gave me that. But I have found coming over the long haul better than being on my own. River in the people of God is where we find some resistance. God's power over nature, God's power over nations. Fourthly, let's look at God's power to bring peace. So we shift from nature and nations shaking God's people to God doing the shaking and breaking the bow and the spear. Verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He overcomes the threat of the pounding nature of nations, and he also does an end to the weapons of war. He's a warrior ending the war. God speaks of a victory over the hush of a battlefield. So in this sense, the psalmist is saying that God is victorious over the battle, both now and in the future. Because obviously the, the reality is we live in this in-between time with God's fullness and power perfectly, and at the end of time when it will come fully. We live in this in-between time where we can declare God has won the victory, but that victory is somehow still being worked out. And the sons of Korah who wrote this psalm want us to know that when the entire world rages and totters, when everything conspires against you, when the whole power of a cursed world heads in your direction, what will God do? Dix tells us that he utters his voice. And the earth, God of hosts, the God who fights on our behalf, is with us as our fortress. And all he has to do is speak to win the battle. And then to prove his power, the psalmist calls us to look at his works as proof. He brought desolations, he stopped wars, he's broken bows, shattered spears. In other words, nothing is a match for him. From this side of the cross, we can go even further. All of God's plans have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus' suffering on the cross, through his resurrection, he wins a victory over the law, over sin and over death. Brought into effect the rule of God and blessing of every nation, uniting believers from every nation to himself. So when we read this psalm, we can think of ourselves like an army picking over the spoils of the battle. If you imagine, you know, at the end of a war and people are lying dead on the ground and scavengers would come and take armor, take weapons, take bags of gold or whatever they would do, we, in light of Christ's victory in, on the cross, get to get the spoils of his victory in this life. Our spoils of war are sharing in his power over sin, law, and death. You could even be a little bit excited about that. That's really good news. 
Because I'm in Christ and He's in me, I get to share the spoils of victory. Overcoming addiction and sin and lies and the past and shame and guilt. You know, when I just think of my story, what I've come from and just the stuff that I was into and the stuff that was done to me, that stuff has no hold on me. Sure, it impacts me and affects me. Sure, I have to battle against it. But no longer am I in chains to it because of what Jesus achieves on the cross. There's been this freedom that he's won for us, this victory that frees us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. It means that the things that try to destroy us, well, those things we just need to know in of ourselves that there's a victory that's been won over them. And when you believe that, that just does something on the insides. It means that we don't have to cower in our spirits. It doesn't mean that we just don't have to sort of think that we're done for and there's no hope for us in this life. It stops us hanging our heads in shame. Like nothing can stand before you because nothing can stand before him. It's a hallelujah. It's an amazing truth that we have. Like when we are on the raft facing those really difficult moments, when we know all our personal stuff feels like it's working against us, we have this victory in Christ because he's the overcomer. And because he's the overcomer, we're overcomers too. And fifthly and lastly, I'll finish with this. God says, be still and know. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Those words, be still, in Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, could be translated as cease and desist. So think of a policeman breaking up a fight. That's the sort of language that's being used here. Stop what you're doing and be still. Stop all your frenetic activity, all the stuff that you're doing. God says, be still. And it's interesting, I think many of us would read these verses as a word of peace and calm. And for us, that often translates in, well, it does for me, grab a really nice cup of coffee, find your favorite sofa, you know, you sort of let God handle your problems, but you just sort of retreat to get some me time, and I'll be still, and you can be God. And it's not quite that. It's not quite that. The words be still, Jesus echoes in, Luke, in Mark 4, verse 39, where he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. The, 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 the biggest thing I can match it to, because I don't really speak to people like this, is again with my dog. And my dog's running around, I've got a treat in my hand, and the dog sees the treat, runs over to me, and I say, Sit! I put my finger in the air, sit, and immediately she's down on her haunches. And obviously the treat really helps her obey my voice. I'd like to think I have some authority. Sit! And that's the, the be still in these verses. So it's actually a rebuke before it's a comfort. Be still and know that I'm God. Not you. I am God. And I just wonder how much of our fear and anxiety is rooted not in our circumstances, but in our self-reliance. So we look to the stuff that we do, which our culture tells us to give us peace, instead of looking 
to God. Grab our phones. Or we gape into Netflix or turn on some music. Often silence is really scary because it amplifies all our fear. So unless the stillness is mixed with some confidence and faith, then we're a little bit in trouble actually. So I want you to take this. There is an activity in the stillness. So it's not just about vegging on the sofa. It's not just about escaping, saying, God, you be God, I'll be me. But there is this active, like internal, God, I'm not you. I'm not God. Then actively, like throwing yourself on him as your refuge. Not retreating for me time, it's retreating for God time. And I do think me time is good, but I just don't like the language because it infers it you're on your own. But this sort of be still and know that I'm God is retreating and being still, but really you're throwing yourself. I can't do this, only you can do this, but you're also saying go out this while I sit back and be still. And as we cast our faith and our cares in his direction, as we cast our anxieties on God because he cares for us, something happens on the inside. I believe resilience is imparted. It's received. It's given in grace. And so let me just address all of you in the room. Some of you here have got low resistance. Like you just know, honestly, right now, I don't have much in the tank. Like the, I, I, I'm believing you, Matt, that you say I've got some, but I don't have much. You don't feel like you've got much resilience. If you do nothing, then that stuff will just fade away and I think you'll end up on the floor. And that's not our hope for you. Our hope is that you will find this strength outside of yourself. But I also want to speak to those of you that, in the room that are and that you actually think, I'm quite a, like, I've got... If you continue in that posture, you will probably crash and burn at some point as well. You need to humble yourself and omit your lack of resilience that God wants to bestow on us. So whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, the path is the same. This isn't something we generate from within. This is something we reveal and know that he is God. So how do we respond? Well, I just want to encourage all of you this week to stop, to sit and be still. Even if it's just for a few minutes. If you've got kids, it might be you can try and work out with either babysitters or spouse or someone to help you just take a bit of time to be still and in that place perhaps take Psalm 46 and you throwing yourself on God and coming to the God who wants to re remind you that there is a river flowing in you so we're going to stand with me we are going to worship this incredible God who bestows and imparts resilience on us we're going to break bread in a moment too. Perhaps you just want to put your arms out before you just as I pray and as we start to worship. It might be good for you just to humble yourselves again, come to God in that posture of God. I just need to receive right now. Well, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. We pray, Lord, that you would impart resilience to us, whether we feel weak or strong. We're trusting God that you are that refuge, that ever-present help in times of trouble. God, we don't want to just rely on the stuff that perhaps is easy 
or at hand gone to in the past but we want to actively commit our lives to you we want to call for you to be at work on our behalf and we want to live in the good of the victory that you have won for us at the 